I just want to start firstly by uh, honoring God. Lord God, I just thank you for today. I thank you that you are exalted in this place. I thank you that you're exalted in my life, Lord God. I thank you that the message that you've given me, Lord God, is one of revering you and putting you, black, putting you back on the pedestal where you belong, Lord God. I thank you for the message that you've given me, Lord God, and I just pray that I will not be a filter or something that the message can just be given to the people here, Lord God, the same way verbatim as how you've given it to me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We honor you and acknowledge you today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Right, so I just want to clarify firstly why I'm dressed like this, because <laughs> all of you guys who know me know that I'm not, I don't dress like this. <laughs> we were even at a wedding uh, on Friday and I wasn't dressed like this, so I didn't dress like this because... Um, well, I guess in some case, I'm not like a Pastor Paul who has this amazing fashion sense, or Pastor Vim, or Pastor Michael. <laughs> but for me, it's not, I'm not wearing this because I'm preaching, I'm wearing this because of the topic that I'm talking about. I'm talking about reverence for God, and for me, it's important that it's not just words, it's not, it has to come out also in actions. So for me to dress like this, it's in terms of being reverent to my God and my King. So don't expect me to dress like this again. <laughs> right, so as I said, today's message is called Bringing Back the Reverence. Something that we really need, I think, in, in today's day and age. I want to start off by reading from Malachi 1 verse 6. So this isn't on the slides, but anyway, if you want to find Malachi, it's very simple. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It starts off and it says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. This is God speaking. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, In what way have we despised your name? So I want to start off by asking you guys today, What, what level of acclaim does God enjoy in your life? Where does he sit in your hierarchy of importance? How much acclaim is he afforded in your life? Now, I have a lot of Muslim friends because we come from KZN. Uh, we went to UKZN, which is a, a university in Durban, but very much like 90% Indian. <laughs> so there's a lot of Muslim and a lot of Hindus there. And because I have a lot of Hindu fr uh, Muslim friends, I also get a lot of insight into their religion. Um, and one thing that really is interesting to me, it fascinates me, is that they have such reverence for Allah, their God, that even when they write his name, there's always this little uh, honorific that is added. It's a little symbol in Arabic. And it essentially, if you translate it to English, it stands for the three letters SWT, which is Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what it stands for, or what it means, is glorious and exalted is he. So every time they write the name of Allah in the Quran, or every time they speak about Allah, they put these little honorifics afterwards to remind them to revere God, well, their God. And it's the same with Muhammad, the Prophet Muhammad. They put P-B-U-H before that, which stands for peace be upon him. So it fascinates me that Muslims can be so reverent of their God. They, they will not even write his name without acknowledging him as king. And I don't think, well, 
for some Christians, I don't think we do that. I don't think that we honor God in that same um, way, where even when we write his name, we give him the honor and praise he's due. So today, I just want to put God back on his pedestal. That's the purpose of today's sermon. Uh, in today's society, what we find is that people have taken God and made him a nothing. We've made him into a fairy tale, and he's something that's been disproven by evolution, and science disproves him. And people just seem to think, you know, if you believe in God, you're believing in fairy tales. How can you believe in something so archaic? Uh, Jesus, yes, maybe he was a guy who existed, but he's not this person that you think he is. So in this world today, we've made ourselves God. Everything is about us. We only want to do something that satisfies us. We don't want to be subservient to someone or something. So God is very inconvenient for us. And the funny thing is that he's very inconvenient for us except when we're in an emergency. Then all of a sudden people remember that there is a God. <laughs> and it's funny because uh, there's this um, bumper sticker that says, uh, as long as there are maths exams, there will be prayer in schools. <laughs> Which is funny because people try to ban prayer in school, but as long as you've got people trying to write difficult exams, you can bet that they're going to be praying and asking God for help. And I, a, really, a really nice example of this is also, it's something that Ravi Zacharias shared. Um, I hope you all know who Richard Dawkins is. He's a very belligerent and infamous uh, atheist, so he's very, very anti-Christian, and he doesn't like anything to do with Christians. And he was involved in this uh, live uh, podcast on the radio where it was him and a minister from St. Paul's Cathedral. And they were talking effectively while Richard was sharing, he's a British guy, and he was sharing about how Christians are not very intelligent people. We don't even know what the first book of the New Testament is. So he's busy sharing this, and the other guy, the minister, says to him, okay, well, you know, Richard, you're a very erudite scientist. You know, what, you know everything about evolution and about Darwin. So, of course, you're going to know the book Origin of Species and what the, the full title of that book is. And he says, yes, yes, of course, uh, I know the title. So he says, okay, by all means, please give us the title, the full title of this book. And he's like, okay, um, uh, on the, and just forgive me because I'm just quoting. He says, oh, and on the Origin of Species, um, oh, my God. And when he was saying that, he was calling, the, the, this is the proof of the sovereignty and omnipotence of God, that for even an atheist who is trying to disprove God, he calls on the name of God to help him remember the name of the book that he's using to disprove God. <laughs> so even within Christian circles, we've also transformed God from the king and creator of the universe into our personal buddy and friend. And it's sad because we've almost placed him as someone that we can have an argument with or someone that we can disagree with or someone who, when his plans don't align with ours, we question him and we say, why, why are you doing this? But we're talking about the king of heaven and earth. We're not just talking about a personal friend of ours. Like, if you think of being friends with a king, even though the king is your friend, you're not just going to walk into his presence and do your own thing and question his decisions. You're still going to give him the honor and reverence that he's due. So yes, Jesus is our friend, but at the same time, we must always remember that he's king. So I want to challenge you guys today to reposition God in, in your lives as the ultimate supreme being, the one who is worthy of all honor and all praise. And I like, because I love football, I like to use this 
an illustration of this. It's a very crude, or it's not a very, you can never explain how far God is above us, but this will just serve to illustrate this. So in, you've got different leagues in the world. You've got the Premier League in England, you've got La Liga in Spain, you've got Serie A in Italy, and all of these are the best leagues or the best teams in these countries. Then what happens is you take all the best teams from all these best leagues and you put them into a league known as the Champions League. Now imagine if you took all the champions of the Champions League and put them into a league and then had a winner from that. So the champions of the Champions League. The champion of the champions of the Champions League. That's God. And in terms of where we sit on the hierarchy, we're not champions. We're not at God's level. We're not champions of Champions League. We're not Champions League. We're not Premier League. We're not First Division. We're not Second Division. We're not even the open conference that anyone can enter into. We're like a bunch of old guys going and playing football on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> in comparison to where God is. So I want to start off this journey by painting for you a very vivid picture of what God is like. And for this, let's turn to Job chapter 38. So we all know the story of Job. What happens is the devil comes to God and challenges him about Job. He says, I see that Job is a very righteous man, but I'm sure if I bring enough disaster upon him, he will curse your name and he will forget you. But now, in the midst of this, Job never actually gives up on God. He always he carries on believing in him, but at the same time, he also doesn't understand why God is doing what he does. So he questions it, and he says... Or he questions it and he wonders why is it that God is taking me through this? He doesn't understand what he's done wrong. Now when God responds, this is where we see how amazing God is. So listen to this. Job 38 verse 1 to 12. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Now imagine there's this guy in the midst of this ruin because he's lost his house, he's lost his uh, cattle, he's lost everything. And he's just sitting there in the ruins uh, in sackcloth and ashes. And all of a sudden, a voice comes out of heaven and says to him, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? How many times in our life do we question God and say, Why are you doing this? But we're, we're the ones that have or don't have knowledge, and we're trying to obscure God's plans for us. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. When God is asking this, it's, not, it's a rhetorical question. He doesn't expect the guy to answer. Because we all know none of us were there. We don't even have, we can't challenge someone who created the earth, who set everything in place, who laid out the dimensions of everything to fit perfectly together. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars, stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. And then in, in uh, Job 40, 
God continues and he says, Would the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together and shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own hand can save you. This is an awesome illustration of just how far God is above us. He's basically putting Job in his place and saying, how can you come against me? How can you come against, where were you when I did all these things? I mean, when last did one of us bring the morning into being or put the sun uh, to bed at night, you know? Which of us can control the waves when they take over the beach? None of us can do any of these things. So... With that being said, I just want to um, really just illustrate this again with a definition of who God, or a definition of what the term God means. So I, I got this nice one which says, the sup- God is the supreme, supreme or ultimate reality, the being perfect in power, wisdom, and goodness, who is worshipped as creator and ruler of the universe. Now I think all of us, none of us have a problem with the part about power, or the part about goodness. We know God is omnipotent. We know he can effect anything. He can split the sea. We know he's good. We know he provides for us in due season. But do we trust him with the wisdom part? Do we trust him when he puts plans in place for us? Do we believe that, yes, this is a God who will use his ultimate wisdom to, give, to use his perfect power to give us the goodness when we need it? So with this picture of God in our minds, I want to take us through three broad points on reverence. What is reverence? Why should we revere God? And how should we revere God? So firstly, what is reverence? What exactly does revering God mean? The Hebrew word used in the Old Testament is yira, and it has the following meanings. To fear or be afraid, to stand in awe of or be awed, or to fear, honor, and respect. So essentially we can see that reverence has two dimensions. Number one, it's got a fear element to it. And number two, it's got a honor, reverence, and respect element to it. And it's very easy to ascribe both of these conditions to God because we know God is omnipotent. He can strike down 10,000 at our side in an instant. But then at the same time, we know that this is our glorious, loving God who gave his son for us so that we could enter into his presence, so that we could be redeemed because by ourselves, we don't have that power. So this earns him honor and awe beyond what words could ever express. Now, I want you to think, I'm, I come from KZN, so there's some crazy, crazy thunderstorms that happen over there, like ridiculous thunderstorms that Joburg could never compare to. And what happens is that you will just be doing something, and all of a sudden there's this, this massive crash of, of thunder, and a big flashes of light, so especially at night when you're trying to sleep, and all of a sudden it's so bright, it feels like it's daytime. That's how hectic these storms are. And for me, every time that I I go through or I experience a storm, the first thing when it bangs, when the thunder bangs, your your heart jumps up into your throat and you start getting goosebumps on your arms and your hair starts to raise up on your arms as well. And that hair raising up is not because of the thunder, (laughs) I mean the lightning or the electricity. It's actually because you're scared, you're intimidated. And this is a real raw demonstration of God's power, a thunderstorm, because when you're in the midst of it, you feel so small and you feel like that power could just wipe you out in an instant. That's a real demonstration of God. 
So I love thunderstorms, and I'm looking forward to some soon. <laughs> okay, so when we, when we revere God, it, it's usually a feeling, but it also comes out in terms of actions. You don't just revere God and feel it. You normally have to act it out as well, um, because we can't be in God's presence and not act, it, act out that reverence for Him. So what happens is you either bow down and worship Him, or you end up crying or something to that extent. So I want to read a few examples in the Word of people revering God. And I'm going to read from the Word today. I forgot to say, I'm going to read from the Word today because we believe in the Word of God in this church. We don't change it. We don't alter it. We don't suit it to our purposes. We take it for what it is because God intended it to be that way. Amen. Amen. I need to learn to say that more often. (laughs) Uh, So Genesis 32 verse 30. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. This is where Jacob was wrestling with God as a man. Obviously not the fullness of God, but God in a man form. And so his expectation after being with God was that he should be dead. He says, I was with God, and yet my life has been preserved. So when we're in God's presence, there's this full expectation that we actually can't even be in his presence. We die when we're in his presence. Then Leviticus 16, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the deaths of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. So that's already scary. These guys just approached him and they died instantly. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place before the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. Again, being in God's presence, he had a curtain between where he was and where uh, you could, where's the furthest place you could go? Because he's so holy and he's so mighty and so almighty beyond us that in our sinful state, if we're in the presence of him, we actually die. And we'll, get, we'll go over how Jesus removed this curtain a bit later. Then in Isaiah 6 verse 5, it's always nice that we have people in our church, we have kids in our church with the same name as uh, prophets. So Isaiah 6 verse 5, his reaction is interesting. He says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So his reaction when he was in the presence of God was to recognize his sinfulness and to say, I am a man of unclean lips. All of us are unclean in comparison to God. Then in Judges 13 verse 22, we got Samson's parents who also had an experience of the angel of the Lord. And they said, so Manoah said to his wife, we will surely die for we have seen God. Again, the reaction is dying when you have seen him. And finally, in Revelations 1 verse 17, this is John who was in God's pres- uh, who was in Jesus' presence. But now he's seeing Jesus in his fullness. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Well, I am the first and I am the last. So his natural reaction was almost to die again. But what I really find interesting about that is how Jesus reacts. Jesus, even though he commands all honor and all praise and all fear, he touches him on his shoulder and says, do not be afraid. That's the Jesus, that's the God that we serve. So the point of all of this is to understand just how far God is above us. He is greater than we can ever imagine. However holy you think he is, he's more than that. However glorious you think he is, he's more than that. However 
um, powerful you think he is, he's more than that. We often go about our lives as if we are the center of the universe, as if our jobs, our relationships, our money, our wealth, everything is the most important thing to us. And then we give God the last few minutes every day. And how sad is that? Amen? <laughs> so now I want to challenge you. Imagine if you take your favorite hobby or your favorite pastime, something that you pour a lot of time into. So for me, that's calisthenics. I love physical training. I absolutely love it, and I pour my whole life into it. Now imagine something like that in your life, and take the time that you spend in that particular thing and compare it to the time you spend with God. And now imagine if you took all the time that you were spending, in my case doing calisthenics, and transfer all that time into spending it with God, and take the time you spend with God and put it into my calisthenics. What would happen? Would my calisthenics go down and my relationship with God would go up? Because if the answer to that is yes, then you know your priorities are whack. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so we, we recently listened to this testimony from, on YouTube from a boy called Marky. He has a disease known as butterfly wings, or butterfly skin, sorry. And what, it ha what happens is that his skin... Similar to how if you had to take a butterfly wing, I'm sure you've all felt a butterfly wing. When you just rub it like that, it just disintegrates. You know, it, you rub it and it disintegrates. And it's the same with his skin. It's a, a, a very, very rare skin disease. So if you touch his skin, it just peels off and he starts bleeding. And now because of that, he has to be in a wheelchair and he has to be all padded up and he can't really move around or anything. So he's stuck. And his muscles are all nice and, well, not all nice, all small and atrophied because he can't really move or do anything. And the funny thing about this, or this, the, the fascinating thing about this is that even though he's in this state, they interview his parents and his pastor, and they say that he never complains. He always smiles. Every time you see him, he's smiling and he's laughing. And when he worships God, he worships him so beautifully. And um, he listens to Elevation Worship, and they sing that song, "Resurrecting the Resurrecting King is Resurrecting Me. And at the end, they say to him, you know, doesn't your, doesn't your disease make you sad? And he says, no, not at all, because one day I'm going to stand with God in heaven, and he's going to give me a new body. And this is someone who has recognized how irrelevant our time here on earth is, or our condition here on earth is. It's not about us. It's not about our, where we are. It's all about God. Everything's about him at the end of the day. Amen. Okay, point two, why should we revere God? So by now I'm sure I've already illustrated a lot of the importance of revering God, but now I just want to go through some points on why we should revere God, just to embed this in our hearts. Point A, we should revere him because of who he is. So first and foremost, God is God. He is worthy of all praise. No one can take that away from him. We can't change God to suit our purposes. He is who he is. No matter how you feel like he's not suiting the way you want him to be, you can't change that. It's you that needs to change. It's not him. He is who he is. What he says is what he says. So in Isaiah 44 verse 6, we've got a very nice illustration of this. The Lord says, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. If the God of heaven and earth is telling you that there's no other God, you can safely assume <laughs> there is only one and it's him. 
Isaiah 45, verse 9 to 12, Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. Potsherds are like broken pieces of pot. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to a father, what have you begotten? Or to a mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the works of my hand? It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. God is worthy of all praise, and we shouldn't question that. Point B, Jesus opened the way for us to draw nearer to God. Hebrews 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way opened for us through the curtain of his body, Jesus did something that none of us could ever do. He opened the way for us to be in God's presence, for us to worship him and revere him intimately. That curtain has been removed and we can now be in his presence thanks to Jesus. And because of that, we owe him reverence for his sacrifice for us. Point C, our decision to revere God has consequences. So rewards come from fearing God punishment comes from not revering God. And we see this in Luke 23, verse 40 to 42, when Jesus was being crucified, he was crucified next to two um, criminals. And the one took the opportunity to criticize him and to say, well, who, you know, if you're God, why don't you save yourself from this? But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then on the flip side of this, we've got Proverbs 22, verse 4, where, he say, where it says, The rewards of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Who doesn't want riches, honor, and life in this, in this age? In fact, we were talking about this the other day. We were wondering where in the Bible it says Christians can be rich. But well, here it says, so <laughs> just be humble and fear the Lord. Point D, he has forgiven our sins. So my son's name is Micah. So of course I was going to get a scripture from. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do a sermon without taking a verse out of Micah. And this is a really nice one as well. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnants of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Now what happens is when you drop something into the depths of the sea, you will never find it ever again. When, some, when a ship crashes and goes to the bottom of the, the, the seabed or a plane, people can't find it. Even though they search, they can't find it. And that's what happens to our sins. Our sins are buried so deep in the ocean that you can never find them. That's the God that we serve, and don't you think that makes him worthy of honor and praise? Point E, we are, we are without excuse as his glory surrounds us daily. Romans 1 verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I love this because in today's day and age, people love to talk as if God doesn't exist, as if there's an excuse to not know God. But there isn't. I mean, when we look at the trees and the plants and the birds, and I wanted to show an illustration of a lion, how majestic it is. 
when you see it in nature, but God created all these things. How can we at the end of days when he comes in the time of wrath and say, well, I didn't, have, I didn't know, God. I didn't know that you existed. We don't have that excuse. Point F, the gift of knowing God is a gift that is irreplaceable and can never be stolen from us. So think of all the things that you have, the wealth you have stored up, your job, your relationships, your house, your car, everything that you have. Think about how even your talent and your abilities, think about how all that stuff can be taken away from you in this age. You can have everything stolen from you or you can have uh, someone disabled or you can be in an accident and be disabled and be unable to exercise your talent. All those things can be taken from you, but God, if you have the gift of God, if you have the knowledge of God, that can never be taken from you. No matter what happens to you in this age, God is there. God will always be there. You can lose everything, but you cannot lose him. He is the only thing that is not transient. He's the only thing that's permanent. Hebrews 12, verse 28, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Point G, the fear of the Lord brings confidence and gives us life, fruitfulness, and blessings. And Proverbs 14, verse 26, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. We always watch these movies where people are looking for the fountain of youth. They're going on some quest to find the fountain of youth. And yet here it is in the Bible. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. You don't need to go on a quest to find that. You've got it already if you know God. And I love this one. Psalm 128 verse 1 to 4. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruits of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine in your house and your children like olive plants around the table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Point H, reverence for the Lord is a cure for insomnia. Proverbs 19 verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. So if you couldn't sleep last night or you having trouble sleeping, here's your answer. Right, and then the last point on point three, how do we revere God? So what are some practical steps for how we can actually revere God? Because this is important as well. First and foremost, the most important way that we honor God and revere God is by how we live our lives. The way that we live our lives is a reflection of our reverence towards Him. Point number one, acknowledging Him in everything that we do. Proverbs 3, verse 6 to 8, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So for me, people love to ask me why I wear this this what would Jesus do band. It's not just a fashion statement. As I said earlier, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a fashionable person. But I wear this because it helps me to acknowledge God in everything that I do. It reminds me that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. Whenever I see it, I remember that God is in control. And a very vivid descript or illustration of this is a few years back, and I think I've shared this at church before. My wife and I went through a time where we weren't uh, we were struggling a bit with money and we just kept getting more expenses and things kept breaking and car tires popped and all kinds of crazy things. And I still remember saying to Sonera, like, we can't, we can't carry on living like this and stressing about money when this is actually God's area of expertise. All we're doing is we're just, we're just using what's already His. So why are we stressing about it? Of course He's going to provide for it. So on that day, we made the decision. We said, God, 
this is, you are in control of this. You are the king of our finances. You are the ruler of our finances. We will never stress about this again. And I can safely say to this day, we have never lacked. We have never lacked as a result of that decision. And we still don't stress to this day. Even though my wife isn't working, we still don't stress. <laughs> so number two, praising and worshipping him regularly. Of course, a natural reflection for revering God is by worshipping him. John 4 verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worship, worshiper soul shall worship God the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. Now for me, this is actually something that I struggle with, to be honest. I can worship God very easily when it's just me and him, but in a context like this, in a church setting, I sometimes struggle to let go of that thing of caring about how you look or how you sound or what your voice sounds like. And I think it's really important that we can get beyond that because that's how you worship God. You have to worship Him um, in spirit and in truth, which is where it's coming straight from within you. Point three, reading His Word and being obedient to Him. Reading God's Word and listening to Him is, of course, another natural reflection to how we can revere God. In Job 23, verse 12, it says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. So earlier this year, like Pastor Paul likes to mention, but earlier this year I actually made a decision and it's Saul that inspired me because Saul has such a depth of understanding of the word. He really understands it and can unpack it. And when he spoke like that, it really challenged me and I said, I can't have this surface level understanding of the Bible anymore. I need to go deeper. And what generally happens is that people just blast through the Bible 10 chapters a day or something like that, and then you don't get to unpack it properly. So what I said was, I'm going to read one chapter a day, but I'm going to extract every possible thing I can from that, that chapter. I read different translations. Um, I research what everything means within there. I get different perspectives on what it means. And this has really been insightful for me. I've actually got such a depth of understanding now for the parts that I've read. And I've got all these Bible notes that I can always refer back to because I actually take notes while I do it as well. And I can see how God has honored me for doing that, even though I'm trying to actually honor him by doing it. So, and then also just in James 1 verse 22 to 25, this illustrates the thing of being obedient to him. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And I can attest to that. Point four, giving him due honor and attention when praying. And this is a big one because what happens is we often just speak or pray in the context or in an environment that's not really the best possible thing. Like, let me just ex explain. So you can pray as you walk into a meeting room and you can quickly say to God, okay, I need your help with this situation and a quick little one minute prayer. Or you're about to eat and you say a quick 10 second prayer. Yes, I understand there's power in those prayers, but not in the same way that when you're trying to revere God. When you want to revere God, you have to be, you can't be distracted. You can't be having a conversation with someone or eating or doing something like that. You have to give him your full attention. And my wife is such a beautiful example of this. When she wants to spend time with God, she tells me, sorry, Sean, I'm going to the room. I'm closing the door. It's just me and God. And please don't disturb me. And I have to honor that. And I really do honor that because she, she values that time of reverence with him. 
if God was physically with you when you are praying or when you are worshiping, how different would your posture be? Number five, going to church. So this doesn't just mean physically coming to church. Coming to church, yes, is a way of revering God, but it means being physically present in church, listening to the message, unpacking the message post the sermon. Um, When we're worshiping, being involved in worship, not just letting other people sing the words, but actually being physically involved in it. That's what it means to to go to church. We don't come to church to maintain our appearances. We come to church to honor God. Number six, treat the name of God with reverence. So we're all guilty of saying the man upstairs or the big guy. In those terms, as much as, as, much as we, it becomes casual, it's actually quite irreverent because we're, we're bringing him down to our level as if he's just this person that you can refer to. But he's actually so much more than that. We have to give honor and glory to the name of Jesus. It's like I was illustrating with the, the Muslims. So think about now, we also pray and we say, we use the name of Jesus in our prayers. We just throw Jesus in there, Jesus, 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 Jesus. But do we actually recognize the power of that name? I mean, it says in Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11, he has freely bestowed on him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Do we actually ascribe that power to the name of Jesus? When you pray over someone, especially when you're trying to heal someone or something, do you recognize that you, there's power in this name? You don't just throw it about as if it's the name Sean or someone else. You, throw, you have to actually understand that that name carries power with it. It's really, really the most important way of revering God because when you use his name, you, you're referring to him. Point seven, not being ashamed of the gospel and, and of our faith. So we can't be afraid of, or we can't be afraid of God, but then also afraid of people. That doesn't make sense. If you are afraid of God, you don't care what people think. You don't care what they would have to say. So you won't be afraid to share the gospel because you've got this good news and you know other people need to hear it. Uh, Romans 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And then the last point, saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So we know God hates sin, and we're in an age now where sin is being masqueraded as something that's acceptable, as as if society has advanced somehow. Acceptance of homosexuality, acceptance of abortion, um, criminalizing discipline of children, all these things are considered advancements in society. But yet we know the truth, it's not. It's just the facade that the devil has created to fool people into accepting these things. So we should be deeply concerned as Christians for our brothers and sisters because we know the time of wrath that is coming and there won't be an excuse for anyone when this happens. So we should be deeply saddened and praying about this. So Titus 2 verse 11, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live righteous, self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. So we need to voice our opinion and not be afraid of it. So in conclusion, I just want to remember who God is in our lives. Give him the due respect that he deserves and is warranted. And I want to finish with this verse from, I think it's also from Isaiah, uh, from Isaiah 33, verse 6. Honestly, if you guys want to know about God, just read Isaiah. It's like the best book ever. And he will be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Behold, 
Their brave men cry in the streets. The ambassadors of peace weep bitterly. The highways are desolate. The traveler has ceased. He has broken the covenant. He has despised the cities. He has no regard for man. The land mourns and pines away. Lebanon is shamed and withers. Sharon is like a desert plain, and Bashan and Carmel lose their foliage. Now will I arise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will be lifted up. You have conceived, cha- you have conceived chaff. You will give birth to stubble. My breath will consume you like a fire. The peoples will be burned to lime, like cut thorns which are burned in the fire. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with the consuming fire? Who among us can live with the continual burning? He who walks upright, who, he who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity, he who rejects unjust gain and shakes his hands so that they ha- hold no bribe, he who stops his ears from hearing bl- about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil, he will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the impregnable rock. His bread will be given him, his water will be sure, and your eyes will see the king in his beauty. So I just want us to pray a few declarations to reestablish God in our lives. So if you could just rise, please, so that we can, and pray these declarations after me. Right, so just repeat after me. Lord God, you are my everything. I repent for where I have placed anything in my life in the place reserved for you. I repent for where I have pursued worldly things. I repent for where I have lost the revelation of exactly who you are. I repent for where I have minimized the power of the name of Jesus. I reestablish your reign over my life and recognize you as king. Help me to always look at the things of this earth with an eternal perspective. And commit my time to doing the things you would have me do. Help me to give you the honor and reverence that you are due. Amen. Thank you.